0: Take
1: me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame for it's one, two, three. strikes you out at the old ball game.
0: Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball show from the fans' perspective. Let's Get Two presents the first pitch. Opening thoughts from James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get Two. I'm your host, James Christopher, and we are coming to
2: you from outside of Dell Diamond. If you listen really closely, you might hear the sounds of the Round Rock Express home opener. Uh, We're going to talk a lot more about this game and our first weekend of baseball a little later on. But today I want to talk to you about the Northwoods League. This is our Northwoods League preview show. Um, We're excited to talk about those guys because they play a level of baseball that we don't see a lot down here in Texas. I had my very first Northwoods League experience back in North Dakota, back in 2020, and it was a blast. They do the best job, I think, of putting on Collegiate Summer League from... The development of players, which is super important, but also the fan experience, which feels much more like a developed minor league game. It's the best combination of baseball. Like I said, great show ahead of us. So stay with us.
1: On deck,
0: the Let's Get To interview. So we're excited to be
2: welcomed by Ryan Vaz from the he's the commissioner and president of the Northwoods League and the co-owner of the Wilmar Stingers. Ryan, how's it going, man?
3: Hey, good. Very good. Uh, it's wild and crazy this time. You're getting ready for the upcoming season.
2: So um, let's talk a little bit about you taking over as commissioner. You already owned the Stingers and you took over at the end of probably the craziest season in Northwoods yeah. League history. Um, what are you looking forward to as far as 2021 and us getting kicked off to some kind of normal?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I think everybody's just Grasping to get back to 19 uh as, as close as we possibly can and, and really not even looking at 2020 really putting in the re- in the, in the rearview mirror. Um, for us here in Minnesota uh, things look good for the start of the season, um, but, as you know we're in multiple states um, North Dakota. Uh, Minnesota Iowa Michigan and so that was part of when this whole process started. Um, we felt like in order for us to play last summer, we had to kind of break in. The league had to be broken up into smaller pieces. Um, That was the first thing I think that we came to conclusion in order to pull this process off. That's what we had to do. So in Minnesota, we're upbeat. We're positive going forward. The other States have got some flexibility. Michigan's got a a few more restrictions. I know that are holding them back currently with what they're dealing with. So,
2: Let's talk a little bit about the Northwoods league uh, at large. And I'll be honest, I was relatively ignorant to it until um, last year, I grew up in Houston, Texas. So minor league baseball and collegiate summer league baseball, not a thing. Um, very impressed on two things about the Northwoods. Again, I wanted you to speak to that one level of play was awesome, but also it felt like a legit um, minor league baseball atmosphere versus, say, Cape Cod League or what we have down here in Texas. So how important is it to kind of address both the on-field product and the customer experience as far as how your clubs go?
3: Yeah, I guess first and foremost, we look at customer experience. Um, The original idea of starting the league was to provide a minor league experience for the players and the fans and not jeopardize collegiate uh, eligibility for the collegiate athlete. So we do everything we can to try to mirror minor league baseball. Uh, full-time staff, uh, promotions, the length of the schedule, the bus trips, you name it. Uh, It's minor league ball other than the fact that these guys are still amateurs um, and still have collegiate uh, uh, eligibility coming going forward for the next year. So uh, the league will continue to pride itself on the experience for fans, the quality of life within the communities, and providing that family friendly experience. Uh, You mentioned a little bit in terms of the quality of play. the original idea was to provide this entertainment in the community and then the baseball would come with it. And um, we have, you know, uh, a lot of major leaguers, a lot of former players that are playing the league Uh, but from a social aspect of it uh, you're a hardcore baseball fan sure get a kick out of that. There are seven major leaguers that, you know, went through Wilmer in the last 11 years. That stuff's very, very cool. And we hang banners of those guys and we keep in contact with them and it's a part of our brand. But ultimately, uh, we're about service and the family friendly entertainment uh, is really number one, the player, uh, you know, piece to it is is really the secondary piece to it. And in in terms of importance, I guess,
2: you know, talk a little bit about Wilmer and also the Northwoods League of Arts because you're really in both doing both things. How important is that relationship with community to to you guys?
3: Yeah, it's huge. And, you know, coming off of last summer, I think just proves uh, we still have 22 teams that are back in the league. Um, There were some teams that didn't play last summer. A lot of teams that did play, as you know, there was a lot of creativity to create new teams. Um, (laughs) The community is where it's at. Um, This is where we live, where we raise families, where we provide entertainment in the summer. So you spend the off season preparing for the upcoming season. It's like you, you spend nine months in the off season preparing for three months. And right now we're in block and tackling mode in terms of pulling off all of the commitments that we made in the off season and fulfilling it for the community come this summer. So, uh, you know, for us in Wilmer, we're the smallest community of the 22 in the Northwoods league. Us in Wisconsin Rapids are are really similar to about an 18 to 20,000 population. Um, And so for us community is, is, is what, where it's at um, because that's, that's our biggest key. We only have one high school. We're not a a bigger market where they might have multiple uh, high schools and, um Wilmer is you know it's very it, our fans are very passionate because of the size of our community
2: one other thing I, I was thinking about as I've been researching you guys you know and and you've worked for the Northwoods League for about 20 years or so um when it started did you guys imagine it being this multi-state like you said tw- I mean 21 you'll have to be the second or third biggest league period when you think about all of organized baseball
3: yeah no it, it, I, I don't think so I mean to be at 22 franchises you know when i entered into the league we were the seventh uh i started the team in alexandria which was the seventh team in the league the madison mallards were number eight in the league that was back in 2001. um back in the days uh, of 2001 2002 there was a a time where we may have lost the franchise but we added one there wasn't significant growth like we had over the last few years where we were adding two or four teams uh during one offseason. so Um, you know, 22, I don't believe is going to be the limit. Um, you know, we're going to add numbers of of two to enter into the league because we will continue to play each and every day. Um, and so, you know, we could be at 24 and expanding beyond as years go ahead, but, uh, a lot of great markets, uh, a lot of great communities in terms of wanting Northwoods League baseball. So, but no, to your point, I, I wouldn't have ever guessed that we were playing in Michigan and playing in North Dakota, um, from that kind of a, a footprint. One of the things I was curious about,
2: you know um, I'm sure you're fully aware that it was a lot of upheaval for affiliated minor league baseball coming into around February of this year. And it seemed that uh, MLB pivoted to the collegiate summer league model Um, from the Northwoods league perspective. I mean, how do you view that? Is it that's them and we're us, or do you see it as some kind of competition for talent?
3: No, I mean, we go about what we've been doing for 20 some years and, and, Um, We build the relationships with the college coaches, provide the best experience for the player, and then provide that uh, quality of life and entertainment within our community. So um, there's still going to be a a plethora of players to be able to choose from. Um, There's plenty of guys out there that want to be able to play in the Northwoods League. We don't necessarily see it as a competition. We want to continue to get better every year um, and provide a better experience for these guys. Um, But we've really laid a a good uh, groundwork in terms of, the respect that people have of the league and moving forward. Um, The quality of play should go up in all summer collegiate leagues because with the major league draft being 20 rounds versus 40 rounds, there's going to be more junior guys that are playing in the Northwoods league and other summer collegiate leagues. The play should be elevated uh, just based off the, the less number of minor league teams and the less rounds of draft.
2: You know, I was thinking about you, you you pulling double duty, which I think is interesting that you're the commissioner and also still the co-owner. Um, How much of a learning curve was it for you to learn what, what the needs of say Traverse city are compared to Bismarck compared to whomever. I mean, is that, has that been kind of a learning curve for you to figure yeah, out? I mean, it,
3: it, this will be interesting. This is the first summer going through it. So, um, you know, the off season is uh, a different animal than the in season. So, but uh, yeah, I, My experience in the league uh, is kind of, I guess, what maybe maybe qualified for the position, but um, the other teams I have have enjoyed it, I think, because now you have an owner operator that's also a commissioner and the president. And so, you know, hopefully I bring another perspective to the league that, uh, you know, maybe somebody else might not have uh, by owning and operating a team uh, for that amount of, you know, that amount of time.
2: Well, I, I want to ask a couple personal questions, yeah. if you don't mind. Um, you obviously de- dedicated a large percentage of your life to this sport. Growing up as a kid, who was that player that you looked at that you said, oh, that's baseball and that's what I want to be into? Um, how did you fall in love with the game in the first place?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I grew up and it was, you know, uh, Cal Ripken, you know, breaking, you know, the consecutive games played. I mean, I was a big Orioles fan and Eddie Murray and um, loved baseball, played fantasy baseball, but this was back in the day where, You know, you were with your buddies playing fantasy baseball and you got the newspaper the next morning and you would go through. And one guy was the commissioner of the league and he'd tally up whether Cal Ripken went three for four last night with two walks. And how many points did that equate to? I mean, this was uh, we're talking, you know, you go pick up the paper in the library at the high school uh, when you were doing fantasy baseball. So I played baseball in high school, um, went into journalism, into college, and ultimately uh, decided I wanted to do an internship in the Northwoods League is kind of how I first started off with the team in St. Cloud. Um, And a gentleman who was my mentor uh, at the time and still is uh, said, you know what? This league is, is, you know, three or four years in Um, there's only eight franchises. If you wanted to, you could dedicate your life to baseball and you could be in this league as long as you wanted to. And that was kind of the rally uh, speech, I guess, in terms of making this into a career and, of course, I got married, and I told my wife that I would do it for two or three years, and then it ended up being ten years, and now it's fifteen years. And then we bought a franchise, and so that changes the whole dynamic of it. Um, and so this has been our life. I mean, uh, I, I joke. I I raised two kids. I've got a, a, a just about an eighteen-year-old and almost a fifteen-year-old. They started off when they were born as Alexander Beatles fans. Then they went to St. Cloud River Bats fans. Then we ran the team in Brainerd, the Lunkers, for a year. And now they've been in Wilmer for 12 years. Um, And so, I mean, we've still got all the gears. I'm sure if you went in the bottom of the drawers of their uh, dresser in their rooms, you'd find t-shirts from all of those uh, other teams along the way. So,
2: and I guess as we wrap up then, you know, um, it's going to be here before you know it, that first game at a personal level, what are you looking forward to? What is going to like maybe hit you where hit you in the fields that baseball's
0: back?
3: Yeah. I mean, we got after last season, it was unbelievable how many comments we got from fans that said, hey, I know it wasn't easy. It was stressful. You pulled it off. You had to keep the players safe. You had to keep the fans safe. You managed to pull off 25 home games and start the season on July 1st and get through the end of August. I'm just looking forward to those, that first fan coming through the stadium on June 2nd with Ron Gardenhier, the former Twins manager, signing autographs with fans having a smile on their face. And coming back to the ballpark and uh, giving them that same experience that we would have in 19, because last year was disappointing. I mean, it was hard to communicate with fans. We had limited menus. We had regulations. We had spacing issues. Um, And so now to be able to bring them back to the ballpark, this will be the first kind of normal piece that they will have in the last 14, 15 months uh, in our community. So I'm looking forward to those first fans coming in the stadium.
2: Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to being one of those fans. We've got about four or five Northwoods League stops on our trip this summer. We can't wait. He is Ryan Voss. He is not only the co-owner of the Wilmer Stingers, but also the president commissioner of the Northwoods League. Thanks so much for jumping on Let's Get Two.
3: Yeah, thank you.
0: Let's Get Two presents the Tangled Webs of the Fond du Lac Dock Spiders.
2: We're excited to jump on to you with very good friend of the show, Chris Ward, of the Fond du Lac Dock Spiders. Um Chris, it's first of all nice to see you when
4: baseball is going to happen.
2: Yeah, it's been a minute. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what 2020 was like for you guys in your part of Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, 2020 or 20 – yeah. So yeah, uh, definitely very interesting, obviously. Um, It was my first year as GM that I took over and did not expect any of that. Um, But made the most of it. We're fortunate enough to get a season in. Um, You know, I think we played – uh, eight less games, but we made the playoffs. So we kind of picked up an additional two there. Um, ended up winning the Wisconsin Illinois Pod Championship. A lot of a lot of pods these days, um, but very proud of that. So it definitely made it worth it. Um, a lot different. And we're looking forward to 2021 and a little bit more of a normal season.
2: Let's focus then on that. You know, again, now it'll be your first full regular season uh, as the GM. Let's talk first of all the logistical part of it. Let's talk capacity. Um, we've talked to some folks in Michigan, and they seem a little bit more restrictive than other places. How's it looking for you guys as far as how how much of a crowd you'll be able to let in?
1: Yeah, so we're pretty fortunate. We're shooting for you know full capacity. Um, you know we'll have a few sections that are going to be if you want to be socially distanced, we can put you in that. Okay. Um, just let us know. But that's what we're going for. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean it, and I guess that is the difference, right? Like I mean obviously America is America and it's 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 state separation of of not church and state, but separation of powers. And so yeah, that is the difference, right? If you've got um you know Texas were obviously way open, sounds like you guys are. Uh, it's yeah. definitely going to create a different experience.
1: Yeah, definitely a lot of different different counties and everything else, so pretty fortunate.
2: When we talk about 2021 um from a fans experience now like taking away the fact that you might have some games without hundred percent of the socially distanced area. What can the fans look forward to when they finally when it's finally time to get back out to the ballpark?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. I mean, again, we've been planning things for two years now since we didn't really have any promotions last year. Um, so, you know, we got a few bobbleheads, which we got a couple here. Um, this is our autism awareness bobblehead that we're bringing out August 1st. Um, so it's our mascot basically in the puzzle piece Jersey um this is kind of the hot ticket right now so the uh arana de moya night basically we're gonna brand kind of do a copa series um so a sugar skull bobblehead august 24th or july 24th for that one with uh marine park technical college and then the, actually the day you're coming out um we got the construction weaver courtesy of drexel building supply so three of the four we got right now we're still waiting on the last bobblehead but we have a Throwback night. So we actually used to be the Fond du Lac Panthers back in the 1940s and 50s era. Okay. Uh, minor league baseball team kind of rebranded into that for a day, um, having a vintage bobble boy giveaway to the first 500 fans. And that's all the the bobbleheads are first 500 fans. So Looking forward to those. Um, Got some appearances coming in Um, Inflatomaniacs, um, Zupers, or not Superstar, sorry, Um, Monty Ball, you know, kind of a lot of different guys coming through, um, which we're excited about getting back to that kind of normal promo schedule.
2: How much has it helped you kind of get over this knowing that it's going to look like a more normal baseball season? And I definitely am getting one of those bobbleheads, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it gets you on. First 500, though. You got to be first 500. (laughs) Um, <laughs> I think it would have
2: been about 30 minutes before anybody. I better uh anyway. So, yeah, talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I think just the excitement. Um, you know, having all these things back and more fans and a lot of fans have been stopping in and just saying like they're excited to come back out to the ballpark. Um, even host families, you know, they visited all their players that they had in the past. Um, we just had one that, you know, the first year they had someone from southern Illinois. Uh, Next year, they had someone from uh, Illinois, and then they had um, someone out east, and now they're they're just visited all of them, basically, and Vanderbilt, too, um, just kind of made a spring slash fall season tour and got to catch up with them all, so it's really cool to just see the relationships that these host families build, um, and the fans, obviously, too, with all these players, so kind of getting back to that, I'm excited about.
2: And I noticed like a lot of uh, teams didn't do host families this year. Are y'all still doing that this year? You know, COVID be darned.
1: Yeah. So we had host families last year. Um, You know, again, great group of people that have kind of been on since the start and, you know, helped us navigate through a, a difficult season. Um, yeah. And we're able to open up their homes during an uncertain time like that. And we're okay with it and kind of try to put the best policies in place for them. And coming back this year, you know, they're a little bit, I would say, not uneasy, uh, you know, a little bit more safe. They've been there. They did it last year. So they're kind of know what to expect and a little bit ready to go.
2: How important is the host family element to the team as far as getting the guys feeling solid so they can actually play some baseball?
1: Yeah, I think it's huge. I know there's some players that kind of come in and, you know, they have some nightmare stories from past host families. Um, So trying to keep that away from us. And, you know, obviously a lot of our host families are very, um, like I just said, the tours and everything like that, they get involved in their lives and stay in touch and text message. And we had, um, another host family who actually sent us a picture of two of the guys that were with the Boston Red Sox, um, that played here in 2018 when we won a championship. So they got a picture together and we posted it when, uh, minor league baseball, um, had opening day last week, last Tuesday. Um, so kind of just gave everyone an update of where all these alumni are now and what affiliates they're with. Um, so that was really cool. And. You know they still recognize Fond du lac and their time here and we've interviewed them um through zoom and just kind of you know the initial conversation is always what is Fond du lac um especially 2017 when we were starting up yeah and then, you know building that that brand and i think our manager zach charbonneau um did a really great job of explaining what it was um you know there's guys from old miss that have come out every year and it's just been every year we get two or three old miss guys um, and they're always saying, yeah, the previous year guy said it was a great experience. And, you know, we kind of keep um, schools with the same families because they're always asking anyways of like, oh, yeah, he lived with this person and I want to go with that person. Um, so, yeah, we kind of try to keep that trend at least and uh, get that positive feedback. So it's awesome.
2: You know, um, you, you mentioned again that the team isn't all that old—five, six years, um, or four or five years—going into this year. How yeah. part of it? How much of a part of the community is it already, though? You had mentioned already people were excited. You guys going to be back in 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 full sport. So, how how ingrained is
1: it? Yeah, I think you know for how young we are, I think it's great. Um, our second year, we actually had a player that had come back for all four years, and he started the the fan base name of the Fondy faithful. And that's really stuck and people have taken ownership of that um so that's i mean just kind of you know it tells you how valuable it is and how much the players actually respond to the community um walking around you know i'll be wearing my doc spiders gear and I'll be eating breakfast, and someone will stop me and be like, "Hey, yeah, the players eat at my restaurant, and they're awesome. And how's this kid doing?" And it's like I'm in the dugout most days because they're sitting up at the counter and they're talking about last night and they're joking about who made an error and kind of just giving them a hard time, you know. And um, so there's a lot of a lot of businesses like that that enjoy kind of these guys that come in from you know Mississippi all around the nation um, and just kind of get to experience Fond du Lac for the summer.
2: You know We're going to be talking to you once a month or somebody from the Dark Spiders. You, you guys are one of our teams. Um, but let's look at this first, first few weeks out of the gate. You mentioned some of the bobbleheads. What are some of the other kind of daily promotions you guys have going? What are some other reasons to get people out to the ballgame?
1: Yeah, so opening day, obviously the big one. Uh, May 31st, 105, we're doing a, a day game there. Um, our first, so June 4th, we're doing a pint glass giveaway. 21 and over first 500 fans, uh, championship pint glass giveaway, um, having some fireworks too. So we're doing fireworks first Friday of every month. Um, weekly promo wise, our biggest one has been the Tuesdays. Well, it will be the Tuesdays this year. Uh, it's called Bang for your buck. So it's dollar, uh, soda, dollar, hot dogs, dollar pizza, and then $2 beers. Um, we also have $2 craft bar- or craft beers and brats on Wednesdays.
2: Oh, that's um, a cool one. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. We're doing Thursdays, kids, 12 and under, get in free with a company by an ab- adult. Um, so a lot of things going on that we're uh, pretty excited to have back.
2: Let's think about it from a personal level for you. Again, we talked already that this is going to be your first full season uh, from an emotional part of it, from a kind of, um, I made this reference earlier in the show you know brad pitt it's hard to get romantic about baseball what what part are you just most looking forward to that's going to really kick off your season
1: man that's a good question i know right now so individual tickets for us just went on sale today um and my mind's just racing with everything that's got to get done in the next two weeks here um interns are coming in next week getting them prepared and and ready. So, I mean, I think a lot of, it's just kind of the relationships just building upon that um, whether it be sponsors, host families, even the interns coming in. um, I think that's, that's a great part of why I've done baseball um, probably the last eight summers, you know, just building those relationships. Um, It's just awesome to kind of see where these kids end up and player wise too. you know, getting the guys drafted. I think this year we'll have a few more. We had a few guys last summer um, that were pretty strong process, prospects um, and just excited to see where everyone ends up and kind of how the summer goes, really. Uh, Great answer, man. I can't
2: wait to meet you in person. You're going to be one of our first big road trips. He is Chris Ward of the Fond du Lac Dock
0: Spiders. Thanks so much for jumping on. Let's get to.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Who's on first? The let's get to local nine brought to you by Zoomer sports. So we're excited to welcome, as we continue our look at the Northwoods
2: League, Brittany Eaton. She is the Promotions and Community Engagement Manager for the Traverse City Bitters. First of all, Brittany, welcome to Let's Get Two.
5: Glad to be on.
2: <laughs> um, no, we're thrilled to have you guys. Y'all have been on our radar for a long time, uh, one of the best brands in all of baseball. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself, though. How did you end up just getting interested in baseball in the first place and end up working for the Bitters?
5: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I graduated from Central Michigan University. Um, from there, I went to New York and worked at Madison Square Garden for a year. Ended up coming home to work for the Traverse City Beach Bums, which were the pit Spitters before the pit spitters. Um, And then when the Pitspitters got fought by the West Michigan Whitecaps, they kept me on. Um, and here I am three years later.
2: <laughs> what exactly is your role? Um, you know, we have people from all over baseball on there, but Community engagement, what does that mean? What exactly are you doing?
5: Yeah, so community engagement, that aspect of my job, it's a lot of player appearances, Monty, our mascot appearances, um, you know, our reading club, which is where if kids read 15 minutes a day throughout March, they get two free tickets to come to a game. Um, Anything that, you know, gets the community involved and gets them out here that kind of falls into that, that aspect of my job.
2: I love that because I think that's the thing that stands alone with all levels of baseball, particularly the Collegiate Summer League. How important is the Pitt Spitters organization to the community at large?
5: It's, it's really important. You know, as far as like us, we're a huge tourist town, like our our population triples in the summer. Um, So we're finding, too, that like we're kind of an oasis for the locals when the tourists are all downtown and like kind of just bottlenecking downtown. Um, We're kind of the oasis for the locals and stuff. So
2: I I love that. So um, let's talk about 2020. Um, How was that experience for you guys? Um, Y'all played a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what you guys did in 2020 to kind of help bridge the gap.
5: Yeah, uh, so 2020 was an adventure, to say the least. Um, I think we played 48 games in 54 days. Um, so what we did is we created a pod, um, and it was us, the Great Lakes Resorters, and the Northern Michigan Dune Bears, which were two teams that we just created. I think June 19th is when we announced that we would be playing, and then July 1st was our opening day. So it was pretty hectic. Um, but yeah, we just created a pod. Um the Dune Bears got two games before the team got COVID and then they ended up going home. So we had a two week shutdown for that. Um, and then we resumed, I think July 19th, um, with just the Traverse city pit spitters and the great lakes resorters. We like to say it was groundhog day up here all summer because we played the same team every night. It was, it was an adventure.
2: How important was it though for y'all to play? Um, I'll give you a little bit of, um, I guess an anecdote, you know, we, the Round Rock Express down where I were at in Austin did something very similar. They joined the collegiate summer league and we got to go. And my wife was like, I didn't realize how much we missed this. How important was it to you, for you guys?
5: I think it was really important, especially coming off of 19, which was our first season as the Um, you know, winning the league championship. It would have just been heartbreaking to not have baseball here in 2020. So I think it was, it was huge for us to play baseball in some semblance. Um, although it wasn't what we wanted it to be. Um, you know, we got to, we got, we were the, you know, kind of a getaway for people that you know, like wanted to be outside and in a safe and socially distanced way. So it was, it was, it was really important for us to play last year.
2: Um, let's go back then. Like you said, 19, first year you played as the Pit Pitts Um You know, it's funny to watch. There's a lot of rebranding going on. There's a rebrand, another rebranding in your league with the Madison Mallards, as far as their yep. logo and stuff. Um, it's always a mixed reaction of fans. <sighs> How did it go when the pit spitters branding and identity was first released? Was it mixed or was everybody on board?
5: Uh, it was mixed. They either absolutely loved it or absolutely hated it. Like we, I, we had a petition going around for us to change the name because people thought it was, it didn't represent Traverse city in a good way. I don't know how many signatures it ended up getting, but we're, we're still here. So.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think that's interesting, you know, cause we, we were following the the launch of the Emerald sod poodles and everyone hated it and then they like led the MILB in merch because I think people weren't so now it's that's what is with you guys right everybody loves it yeah yep
5: everybody loves it now we set multiple records in 2019 for our merch sales for our league so yeah
2: it was it was good (laughs) this is my third hat so there we go there we Um, go (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about 2021 from a logistical perspective uh what are you guys looking at capacity wise
5: so as of right now, we're at 20% capacity, which is about 1100 people. Um, we're hoping as vaccines continue to ramp up, we'll be able to open more, we're hoping by July 4th. Um, Because with what our governor has set forward, it's the vax to, vax to normal plan. So once we hit to 70% of Michigan's population being vaccinated, everything's open, masks go away, social distancing goes away, all of that stuff. Right now, I think we're at 54% have at least one shot. Um, so Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get back to full capacity soon.
2: I'm so glad that I have my second, that I've gotten both shots and I'm through all of that. All right. So let's look at it from a sort of baseball fun perspective. What are we looking at, you know, as you open up in May with promotions and and all of that fun stuff?
5: Yeah, definitely. So uh, our promotions are going to be much better than they were in 2020. (laughs) So for opening day, we actually have hot air balloon rides. We have tethered hot air balloon rides that are going to be here for opening day. So excited about that one we have a local company in Traverse city that we're kind of partnering with for that one. So that'll be fun. Um, we have princess night. We have superhero night. We are going to have a grease and fifties night. Um, we have Harry Potter night. We have all of the, all of the fun stuff.
2: I need to see uh, what's happening on the night I'm coming, which I don't remember off the top of my head, but if it's grease fifties night, that's going to be amazing.
5: Yeah. We're excited for that one.
2: <laughs> so let's talk about you then. Obviously you love the sport of baseball. You've de- dedicated at least a large percentage of your young life so far, (laughs) what are you looking forward to personally at being back in the ballpark on opening day for you guys?
5: Um, you know, just getting our fans back out here. Um, more semblance of normal. Um, we have some great fans here. We love them. And just, you know, seeing the kids out there, the guys, I guess kids, they're younger than I am, but seeing them out there playing the great thing about our league and especially about our teams, our manager expects 150% from these kids at all times. And that's what they give and watching them is so fun. It's just, it's fun to see them having fun playing baseball.
2: That is the difference, right? With, with like you guys and and some of the other collegiate leagues where you are trying to win. It's not like the affiliated where they're just trying not to get hurt. And (laughs) you pretty much have those guys all year. There's not as much up and down.
5: Yep. That is really good too. And like, we have a couple of temp players in the beginning of the season, just as some of our guys are finishing their NCAA tournament runs. Um, But other than that, like about the middle of June, I mean, it's pretty much the same team until the end. So
2: well, Brittany, uh, thanks so much for jumping on Let's Get 2. She is Brittany Eaton from the Traverse City Pit Spitters. Um, I've been working on my arms. I'm doing first pitch for you guys, and I can't <laughs> wait. But thanks so much for joining Let's Get 2.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me. Can't wait to have you guys up here.
0: Who's on first? The Let's Get 2 Local 9, brought to you by Zoomer Sport. Uh, so we're very excited on Let's Get
2: 2 to welcome Vern Stenman and Connor Coloya from the Madison Mallards. We'll be out there in June. Uh, Gonna be working on the old pitching arm for a first pitch, but can't wait to get out there and excited to have these two gentlemen on. First of all, uh, guys, we're almost there. Uh, How are you feeling as we get closer to the season starting? It, we're just excited
6: to get people back together you know uh we we didn't play here last year in madison um like a lot of minor league baseball uh, of course um we actually had a, a logo unveil on saturday night uh here at our, our ballpark and uh had what 900 people come out uh for a free event we screened the sandlot after our, our logo unveil and uh it was just great to see people uh get back together and, and have a good time
2: yeah. Um, let's talk about the logo. Let's jump into it. You guys um, blew up the internet yesterday. It's always funny when something like that happens, because I wake up to about 18 messages on my phone going, did you see? And I'm like, they're set to alerts. And I retweeted eight of them. Yes, I saw. Um, talk a little bit about why the refresh and why the uh, the direction you guys went.
7: Well, you know, uh last year i don't know what year of our business it is i think last year was going to be year 20 this year's 21 so we're somewhere in between because we didn't have a last year yeah. um but uh as we have gone through the last 15 16 months i think it's made us realize how important madison is to the mountains and uh, we saw the brand as a way to recommit uh to madison and just show how important uh this community and the city has been to the club for 20 years so that, that was really the driving force i think we would had a a, a nice brand uh, for the last ten years, but um, you know we always try and do things that people don't expect. And I don't think anybody expected coming out of a pandemic that we would totally rebrand, start over, try something new. And it just, to us, at first, well, it didn't maybe feel right. As we thought more about it, this is kind of our relaunch, our refresh, and an opportunity for us to kind of reconnect because we've been a year without uh, hosting baseball in Madison. I think it was also
6: a lot about fun right? You know, I think it started with Madison, uh, and I think that we, we kind of sense throughout baseball, really, a very nostalgic feel about the return of these games for fans. Uh, you know, you see it with you know Chevy's advertising. You know, it's like yeah. Yeah. pulling stuff from uh, Field of Dreams. Um, that's what baseball is about right now, I think, in, in this country. Uh, I think that the the vibe of our rebrand Fits in really nicely. It's intended to evoke feelings about the old Orioles and Cardinals logos of the '50s. Definitely, and 10s. and, and it, it's uh, it's also intended to be fun. You know, most people when they see it the first time, they smile and and really, it, that's so much uh, about what a Mallards game is all about.
2: If you look over my right shoulder, I've got actually the old hat on my shelf. Yeah. Um but that's one thing I did notice about it was the old one had that sort of kind of angry looking bird thing coming at you, which I also really loved, and I love the color scheme, but this does feel a little bit more light, a little bit more fun. How, how much of it do you think is, is that what we need coming out of this pandemic? Um, I don't know about you, but I'm watching re- old episodes of parks and rec. I'm not watching anything new. That's dark and gross right now. How important is that?
7: That, that was exactly, exactly a big part of it. I, you know, uh, I don't want to describe the last 14 months, 15 months as angry, but, but there hasn't been a lot of, things that, that, that remind you of fun. And our business, our brand uh, is about has been about fun for 21 years. And so we kind of felt like we needed to go back. I mean, that, that old logo has served us great, but we did think we needed to be a little more whimsical, a little more fun. And, and we feel like the community needs that right now. We, we, we need to get back to those things that we enjoy doing that were fun, that made us smile, made us laugh, made us gather with others. And so, yeah, that was absolutely a uh, driving force as we set out to kind of rebrand was how do we get out of this kind of rough 15 months that we've all been in as a community and as a world? And how do we go, go back to having some fun?
2: Vernon do you want to add anything to that? Or are you? No, nope, I think he's, he's right up. Uh, one of the things I noticed the internet reaction for you guys was great. And I saw the internet reaction to when the hooks, uh, un, the corporate Christie hooks unveiled their, uh, water burger honey butter chicken picks biscuit look but sometimes uh they don't they fall a little flat with social media. how nervous were you guys like the night before going all right this is it we're doing this thing and it's gonna be what it's gonna be uh yeah. before it dropped
6: I would say honestly we probably weren't nervous enough uh, you know <laughs> I think that uh, we underestimated a little bit of it. it it was funny it was very different by platform as well so our, our Facebook response, was not, was a little bit more negative, you know, Uh, and and the Twitter, the Instagram, much more positive. And, and it was interesting to see the difference uh, there. And I think we had fun with all of it. uh, And it was fascinating to watch. Um, And I think, especially without playing baseball for 20 months, it's going to be for us between games. uh, You know, we, we forgot about how much people loved the, the mark that they had, you know, in the last 10 years for the team and how connected they were. And I think some people were surprised uh, that we did make that, that shift. And, and we took a big step in a totally different direction uh, with the branding. It wasn't like we made the, the duck tougher and meaner, you know, I mean, we, we, we made the duck a lot more fun. And, uh, and I think it caught a few folks off guard. Um, and uh, yeah, you never know exactly what you're gonna get yourself into as you go through this kind of thing. And we were just so excited to see all these people back at the stadium that we were so focused on that coming into it that it just felt great, you know, that everything was gonna hit really well. and I I, I really do think it has overall.
2: Uh, How confident are you guys going forward? I, I was thinking about, um, anytime I see a rebrand happen, I think about the Emerald osad poodles. And that was an almost 100% negative reaction to them becoming one of the better brands selling in 2019. Uh, Is that part of it for you? You know, this is a long game and people are going to fall in love with this probably when they get out to the ballpark and see it.
7: Yeah, I I think that, you know, while while there's been all types of reaction, um, I think the one thing that we're pretty confident, confident of is, you know, even if you have a strong reaction to this, I don't think you're going to boycott the team and and never come to a game again. Like, I I think we're going to, you know, we, we have maybe shook some people, but I think what is Mallard's baseball is going to continue to be Mallard's baseball. With that being said, we had to remind ourselves on Saturday night after we launched uh, and our staff did a good job of reminding us, you know, not everybody on our staff loved this logo the first time they saw it. And, And anytime you see these things, one change is never easy. Uh, but two, it takes you a little time for it to settle in and, and, and kind of truly decide if you like it or not. So, yeah, we, we are fully confident this is going to be a long process. There, there's been a lot of positive reaction to begin with. Merchandise sales have been, been pretty good. And so we, we, we are very uh, much taking a long-term lens on this thing. Um, and we think that once people get back to the ballpark and kind of see we're back having fun again, they're going to tie to that nostalgic feel that we tried to evoke uh, with this mark
2: let's let's talk a little bit about uh that effort then 2021 is back um what can we look forward to let's start logistics wise um where's wisconsin sitting as far as uh percentage of stadium you can fill um what do you see the game day experience being like from a logistical perspective going forward
6: it's interesting uh we've had a lot of developments uh, just last week um the uh, the county health department uh, opened up the possibility for us to have sections that are completely vaccined in our stadium. Um, oh. and, and so we're going through and weighing that right now. And so that would mean that people in these sections that are uh, 100% vaccinated people, uh, we wouldn't have to wear masks. We wouldn't have to distance. Uh, it, it would be kind of back to normal. Now, the, the catch there is that that means everybody has to be vaccinated, which means that kids, for instance, uh, wouldn't be allowed uh, to sit in that area. And so it's, it's, it's fraught, you know, everything that seems to happen in COVID is, is difficult, right? You know, it's, it's felt, it felt at first like a pretty significant step forward, um, but then as we dug further into it and realized that we really couldn't put kids uh, in these areas, it wasn't quite as good a news as we had hoped, but in general terms, you know, our grandstand, our seating area behind home plate, we're going to be about twenty-eight percent capacity. Oh, great! Uh, all we have to do is is distance groups from different households at this point. There's not a capacity limit. There's not a percentage or anything like that here in Madison right now. Um, and we have an area in the in the ballpark uh, called the Great Dane Duck Blind, uh, which is a massive uh, all-you-can-eat and drink party deck in the right field corner of our stadium. I can't wait to show it to you when you come out, but it's 44 shipping containers uh, that we've uh, repurposed into a permanent uh, structure in the right field corner of our stadium. I believe it's the first, uh, you know, project at a stadium completely made out of uh, shipping containers. I think in the world, as far as a permanent project, there's been some temporary ones. But it's a, it's a pretty cool environment out there. We have a lot of groups out there, but a lot of, you know, 25-year-olds out there and a lot of kind of weekend warriors from the suburbs that that aren't bringing their kids to these games. And so we're going to experiment out there for sure with a, a completely vaccinated section where kids would not be allowed to go to. Uh, we're working through the plans on that right now. So at the end of the day, I think we'll be like 35, 40% capacity to start our season. Uh, obviously it's not where we'd like to be exactly. Uh, but we're optimistic that sometime this summer we'll get back to hundred percent.
2: So let's talk about okay, the, uh, the atmosphere then what can we look yeah. forward to? I know you guys are all about fun. What are some things what are some cool promos we're talking about? What What do you think, what's going to make it feel normal to fans?
6: Yeah, I mean, one thing we learned, you know, so last summer we operated teams in Kenosha, Wisconsin and in Green Bay, Wisconsin, that we uh, that we owned last year. Um, And uh, and we operated about 25 percent capacity and we really pulled back uh, the on field promotions. We pulled back the kids games and obviously things like bounce houses weren't a thing. And it hurt, you know, it really hurt the experience. And it was a big learning experience for us to say, okay, we might not be able to have a bounce house. Most minor league baseball stadiums probably have a bounce house, right? Uh, we're probably not going to have that this year. But what else can we do for kids? You know, So we're bringing, we haven't had a speed pitch machine here in probably 10 or 12 years. Oh, but we're bringing that back. And we're going to have that for kids and, and adults to do that. Again, that kind of feels nostalgic in its own right uh, to do that. We have this levitating t-ball game that kids can play and a tic-tac-toe game that kids can play. We have this massive prize wheel. It's like a price is right style prize wheel that we'll have uh, in operation. We figured out uh, ways to sanitize all those things. We'll absolutely be doing the same um, on-field promotions in a safe way that we uh, have always done. And and we're still kind of working through all the promotional side of things. It's interesting because with limited capacity early on, um, you know, it doesn't make sense to invest a bunch of money in a bobblehead or in fireworks or things like that. Um, and so a lot of our promotions will be kind of backloaded, um, this year, one fun one that we're working on right now is to do uh, a teetotaler night, um, where we last year was, this is actually a promotion we had hoped to do last year, where, uh, it it was the hundredth anniversary, I believe of prohibition last year. Um, and so we wanted to do a night where we, uh, said that there wasn't going to be any beer or alcohol in the stadium. Uh, and we may or may not create some, speakeas- some speakeasies throughout the stadium. Uh, I've heard rumors. I can't confirm any of those yet, but.
7: Which is normally a speakeasy. You don't see it out in public, but you can normally get a drink in there.
6: Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll still do those things. We're going to have some fun. That's what it's all about. And I think last year, our experiences with our other teams was certainly a reminder of how important those things are. And I think it it, it just pushed us to be a little bit more creative to make sure that we were doing things, uh, in a safe way, uh, and still making sure it was a really attractive environment for families to be a part of.
4: Well,
2: um, a couple Uh, of things, I don't know if you noticed, I kind of viewed away from the camera there for a second. I did order my new gear during the, uh, very the cool. interview got my new t-shirt and my cap is on the way um you got mine on here too so <laughs> it's and, and, you know i think the part of it i do like the best is the word mark i think the word mark just pops so i'm really 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 excited about all of it um as we wrap up we'll start with connor you know back in the ballpark what's the one thing at a personal level you're looking forward to uh the most as we get back
7: smiles you know like there hasn't been a, ch- a ton to to laugh about and smile about uh, over the last 15 years 15 months, I should say. And just we were in this business because we get a rush out of people coming together. Uh, we get a rush out of people cheering and we get a rush out of people leaving the ballpark with a smile. And it sounds very hokey and corny and cheesy, but that's why we do this. We stand at the gate, when the game's over. If kids and families are smiling, then we've done a good job. And, and that just, it was special on Saturday night to get people together again, see them smiling. They're just in a, you know, you, you take a nine inning vacation from your, your daily life when you come to the ballpark. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to is just seeing people smile again at our stadiums.
2: Burn, did you want to follow up?
6: Uh, sure. I mean, it's the same stuff, though. You know, it's bringing people together. And that's what we're all about. I mean, we're a baseball team. Yes. Uh but that's not what it's all about. You know, I think that's probably number one on the list for most of our fans, but certainly not all of our fans. Um, I'm excited about the baseball. Uh, You know, we, we've got our same manager coming back, Donnie Scott, an old uh, big league kind of four, a catcher. And uh, he does a great job with these youngsters. You know, this year we happen to have a lot of players uh, from the state of Wisconsin, which I'm excited about. Again, that that local vibe is really important for us. And I think this year we have eight kids uh, on our roster Uh, from the state, uh, including like four or five, you know, right from Madison and the surrounding area, which is a little bit atypical for us. And, and so we're seeing baseball, honestly, in Wisconsin get a little bit better. Uh, We're seeing a lot more, you know, high draft picks coming out of the state and things like that. So it's uh, something that, you know, we don't want to forget about how good the baseball is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really fun watching guys like, you know, Pete Alonzo and and Nico Horner that are, are Mallard's alumni, uh, yeah, yeah. Off yeah, in the big leagues. And, and that's something that we want to keep on telling that story to our fans. So they understand uh, exactly how good the baseball is and, and how much fun it is to be able to say, you know, like when we came to Madison, you know, Jose Canseco had played for the Madison Muskies here uh, back in eight, 1985 for like a week, you know, and every baseball fan I met in Madison for 15 years was at the game that conseco played at and i'm like that's not even mathematically possible like you're making this up clearly you were not at a game you didn't go party with jose canseco (laughs) yeah ozzy his brother was here for like two years Uh, they're literally twins but um but adding to that lore adding to that history adding to that connection you know i think it's great for baseball you know and and uh we're just a small part of it, obviously uh, nationally, but we're we're proud of that part that we play, and and we're excited to get back to doing that this year.
2: Well, we can't wait. We can't wait to get out to see you guys. We're so excited. Uh, it is Vern and Connor from the Madison Mallards? Uh, good luck in the Northwoods League this
0: season. All right, thank you, sir. Thank you. See you soon. Who's on first? The Let's Get to Local Nine, brought to you by Zoomer Sport. We're
2: excited to be joined by Brian Colopy of the Kalamazoo Growlers of the Northwoods League. Brian, uh, we're going to be up there in July. We can't wait. How's it going, man?
8: Going really good. Getting ready for the season. It's Everything's ramping up. It's, it's kind of go time for everybody in minor league sports. So, yeah, we're excited for that and excited for having you up here this summer.
2: I want to jump into just your life as a baseball fan before we kind of get into the Growlers. Who was your very first baseball hero?
8: Oh, man, I grew. you see my Cleveland Indians or the the current Cleveland Indians uh, that I grew up playing baseball, love baseball. Um, I was in that 95 when the Indians had, you know, Carlos Baerga and those guys and then also you know, this unknown kid named Jim Tomey and, and Lofton. And the, so I grew up in that area when they just mashed. I mean, you look at the Cleveland Indians lineup uh, with Ramirez and Tomey and Lofton and all these guys. I mean, it, the, so that that was my thing. So I, 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 Kenny Lofton and Jim told me it's hard to hard to choose for me. I, I would. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a tie. I don't know if we're allowed to do that.
2: Yeah, you're allowed to do anything you want to. Um, right. So how did you end up? You know, you in the front office in in collegiate summer league baseball. What was your journey through that process?
8: Yeah. So I I I went to uh, I played baseball my, my whole life. Um, I was playing uh, in professionally in the frontier league for two seasons was set to go back for a third and, um, and when I played collegiately I was at Ohio University and when I was there I had formed a relationship with the sports administration director Andy Kreutzer who basically said in, the, in Ohio U has one of the prestigious MBA sports administration grad programs in the country and Andy said hey this is my last year um, I can get you in, I can slide you in the back door. I'm like the dunce. I'm the class clown. Like all these people are geniuses in our program. He slid me in. And so basically I went back to school to really, I mean, to really go, Hey, what am I going to do with my life? I spent my four years, uh, playing baseball and school was like part of that, but it was like, I was baseball player. So that gave me two years to really go back and go, what the heck am I going to do with my life? That. Grew my love for minor league sports and baseball. I started working in uh, my first job at with Ripken Baseball.
4: Okay, yeah. Um,
8: so I worked in Aberdeen, Maryland. I went down to work in Augusta, Georgia. And um, <clears throat> I was kind of kind of looking, you know, what my next step was potentially going to be. And when I was at o- OU, they had given me uh, a mentor um, that was in the industry, an area that I was, was hoping to be in. And I, I met this guy named Dick Raditz Jr. And he literally changed my life. He, he was, he, from day one, you know, most most mentors were calling people, spending 15 minutes. Dick literally said, I'm not doing this on the phone. I'm flying you to Florida. We're going to do oh, this okay. in person. Um, and so did it right from day one and just taught me what it meant to be, or like, what a family organization, how you, how you love the people that work with you and work for you. And so he, he, he started that and and basically said, you know, Hey, I'm bringing you up to battle Creek, Michigan. Um, this team is failing. It's literally going to be here for a year and gone. Your job is to lose as little money as possible. Okay. <laughs> um, and here's the keys, here's the alarm code, high fives, <laughs> pat on the butt, go, go baby, go. And so that was in 2011. Um, And honestly, I look back, it was the best thing could have ever happened to me because I didn't go to this place where everything was going great, you know, where I I couldn't make a difference. I came in and I, I, you know, little things I did, mistakes I made still made a big difference um, to where the team turned it around, doubled its attendance that year by accident. We won the championship that year. It was like everything that could have happened did. It's a movie. Yeah. And so then guess what? We signed a new 10 year lease. We're still there. Um, and that sort of allowed us to really stay around this area. And when Kalamazoo came available, that's where it really grew. And, and we were able to get the, the, the Kalamazoo growlers and get that going.
2: Uh, let me start by saying you have one of the best looking brands in baseball. Um, I love the... You know, obviously, minor league sports is all it can be all over the place. and That's a beautiful thing. Uh, I think the color scheme is great. I think the fact that the mascot looks legit. It isn't something overly silly. I think it's that's just my random compliment. Um, talk to me a little bit about the Growlers place in the community, how important it is and what that relationships like.
8: Yeah. I mean, minor league sports are all about, you know, not baseball. It's, I mean, it's baseball is part of it, but it, it's more fun and entertainment. So we, we got that from day one by, uh, by necessity. I mean, even in the summer collegiate ranks, we, we don't have the Tigers affiliation. We don't have, the, I mean, baseball is so far down here. So we are, it's a requirement to be more than a baseball team. It's an entertainment venue, It's food and beverage, and then community. Um, from day one, we, we really realized, um, that our mission is not to win championships. It's to use fun to make a difference. And that's our slogan. It's across all of our teams. We all, I also oversee the team in battle Creek. Um, you know, we, we just don't want to do fun things and goofy things to be fun and goofy. Anyone can do that. That's, I mean, that's great, but it's not enough. If you're not using it to make a difference in people's lives, if you're not using, the power to, you know, obviously people coming out for their first game, grandmother bringing their, her granddaughter out for a game. That's Those are memories. But then, you know, our sponsors that, you know, are trying to make an impact in the community. These are, you know, sometimes these sponsors are these bad people, right? These are these evil people trying to, you know, you know, pluck your fans. These are great businesses that are impacting our communities and they want to make a difference, too. So, We're, we're finding ways to impact them. And then even nonprofits, every game we have, there's a nonprofit out here making thousands of dollars. Um, There's amazing programs that we're, that we're tying into the fun. So that, I mean, that's really what we learned early is like, sure. We can do goofy things. We can, we can throw things out there, but if it's not impacting your community, that's supporting you, then, then what the heck are you really doing for your community?
2: You know, speaking of community, obviously we are all coming out of, uh, the pandemic. You guys were able to play some baseball, but just what was that 2020 season and experience like for you guys?
8: Well, my counselor has told me to forget all these things. I've been pushing this in the past, but if we want to rehash this stuff, I, I can't, um, no, I, it was, it was madness. I mean, it was scary, um, you know, a little, I mean, it's exciting in terms of like, we, we just, we've never been doing this for so long that this was a huge challenge that we were like, how are we going to not like, Oh, woe is us? Like how are we going to fix it? How are we going to make this work? And so if you, if you've seen around I mean, Michigan has the, is the most restrictive state in the country for good and bad, good or bad. There's good right. to it. There's bad to it. There's, you know, so we were dealt that. And so we had, I mean, we had a hundred person capacity thrown at us, you know, and oh. even in Traverse city, Michigan, there was a 500 person capacity. So at, by the time we, we got that hundred person capacity, we had already committed to playing. We were told we were going to get to 500 and go and keep going. And it never got there. We were at hundred. And so, so then we had to pivot so many times to where, you know, we had, we had three or four different schedules. Um, we had to go to the pod where we created three teams we had battle Creek already in Kalamazoo growlers. We had to create a third team, the Mac daddies. Um, and, and then what we really got to, when we figured out this hundred person capacity was not going to change. We said, okay, a nine inning baseball game with a hundred people, our demand, we need more to get more people in that are wanting to come and just, I mean, financially, yes, but that helped, but it was like, how can we, we got to get more people here. So we, we cut up a nine-inning baseball game and made it into two five-inning games. Oh, so a normal game where you to play a Friday night and, t- and play two games, two five-inning games. It was still a legit, like a rainout game, um, and did that. And so, because we did that, we realized like, man, this is going to be really short. How are we going to add more to the fans that are? How are we going to like make this fun for the fans? So we said, well, let's start every game with a home run derby. And uh-huh. we had both teams start out. It was a 15, 20 minute home run derby, timed, exciting. We made it unique and different. One time I competed against the Bombers GM. <laughs> I, did, I did win. Um, but uh, but anyways, that that kicked that off. People love that. And everyone just appreciated that we have these five inning games. And so – Now that it made us realize, wow, these home run derbies are cool. We're going to do that every game now. We're going to announce that coming up here in a couple weeks. We're going to start every single game with a home run derby. It's the best part about most watched thing. One of the most watched baseball events of the year is a home run derby. Yeah. Why the heck is this not happening every game? So um, you see the Pioneer League just announced they're doing that, you know. So I kind of – My
2: message to Rob Manfred – excuse me, Manfred. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is to say, hey, get rid of the stupid runner on second base. Just have a home run derby in the extra innings. Move on.
8: Yeah, I, I think baseball. Baseball's tradition is is its biggest strength and biggest weakness. It gets yeah. in its way. So I, I do think there's a huge opportunity. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna scare some people that are so with the tradition and the stats. Yeah. The stats are these herald herald things. I just think you're right. They could use that sort of to their strength. Is there's this tradition in baseball, but we're going to, we're going to still celebrate that stuff, but we're going to flip it a little bit and, and do that. I think it would really obviously cause a stir. Um, it, it takes time. And it, you know, was, we were hoping coronavirus and the, everything that had to happen this year might force baseball to do some of these things. So we'll see. I, I hope it, you know, we're, or our, our, the beauty of our level is we, we aren't controlled by that. We don't have Manfred going, Hey, you can't have a fire juggling first base coach at the games. Yes, we can. And we will, you know, <laughs> so, you know, like that's, that's the stuff that just really is great about North, the Northwoods league in this level of baseball.
2: How um, as we roll into 2021, how open are you going to be able to be?
8: Well, we, we're still pretty Michigan's still one of the most restrictive States, 20% capacity as of now, hoping that's going to change It's still much better than the hundred person card we were dealt. So, you know, we're looking at about a thousand people, um, to start. Um, and, and so, yeah, we're, I mean, we're just going to go with it. Um, we we've got the safety precautions in place, the big advantage of, of playing last year, obviously to, for our community to say, Hey, we're going to do this, you know, no matter if, even if, you know, even if we're at a hundred person person capacity, but, our staff i mean the hardest thing was getting your staff to know hey this is how you do this you got to wear that you got to do this thing this is where you stand this is totally different so that was almost like our spring training for this year um and so i felt really good about our training and getting people here as we had more people you know we had zero confirmed cases last year the whole summer so um it, you know we're, we're in a good spot we're you know there's still some some things we got to make sure we're on but I mean, we're ready to roll.
2: So as we wrap up, you know, it's, it's opening day for you guys uh, in 2021. What is the one part of the experience you're most excited about at a personal level?
8: Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had, we've been bottled up. I mean, if, if our team's known for weird stuff, six, you know, we first team have a six-year-old head coach arguing with umpires, you know, coach Rick getting thrown out of baseball games. Like we're not afraid to do some weird things and make some mistakes so we've had two in last year. We couldn't do a lot of that stuff. So we have two and even three years of pent up, bottled up. It's like that. It's like the soda can with a mento. It's like a diet coke and a mentos. Yeah. We have so many crazy things that we're ready to, to put out there for the fan experience, the show, and the entertainment. So um, just just that. I mean, f- we, the fans are going to be back. They're going to. They don't want to be back to this like half baseball. You know we can't do the fun stuff we're used to. We're we're going beyond that. We're going to keep going. I mean, we're going even more. So, um, so that is really the big thing for us: getting people back and and just putting the show on again.
2: Well, I cannot wait to get out there. No wife, Jessica and I are looking forward to coming and shooting the park and, and and really helping to promote you guys. You are he is Brian Colopy of the Kalamazoo Growlers. Thanks so much for jumping on. Let's get to. Thank you for having me. From the Bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. So we're going to take a break from our Northwoods League coverage to talk a little bit about the affiliated minor league baseball. You might notice that there is batting practice going on behind me, the San Antonio Missions, as they get ready to take on the Corpus Christi Hooks tonight at Waterburger Field. We're actually able to get out to two games this week, and I wanted to show you footage from both. So we're going to start with some of the footage from the past when we went to Round Rock on opening night, and now somehow the future of our Corpus Christi Hooks experience tonight. It was great to pull up to the Dell Diamond for the first of what will be at least a dozen games spent at this baseball palace. It's been too long without AAA baseball, over 600 days here, and the sights, the sounds, were a welcome haven. The green of the grass, the brown of the dirt, certainly were a welcome sight for these sore eyes. Opening day was upon us, and Jess and I were as giddy as school kids, ready to be back. The matchup was set. The Oklahoma City Dodgers and the Round Rock Express were ready to kick off a season that we've all been waiting for. Things started with an emotional welcome back video that I don't mind telling you left Jessica in tears. It was honestly one of the sweetest things I've seen in a while.
8: Opening day is here. It has been 601 days
5: since the last Round Rock Express game was played. In that time, we have hosted over 40 safe, socially distant
2: events. But the time has come for us to come together again
0: and get back to baseball. It's time to smell the popcorn. To hear the
1: crack of the bat.
5: To feel the excitement of an Express home run.
1: To see the sky light up with fireworks
5: and to cherish every game has a chance to make new memories.
1: Round Rock,
2: let's play ball. Now we all know that the anthem means a lot of things to a lot of people and I respect all of them. But for me, it's a time to remember my friends who fell for our country and the sacrifices all who have served have made. So at every ball game, I render the same hand salute now that I did over 20 years ago when I first put on an army uniform. Now, one of my favorite opening day traditions is the memorial first pitch, and I was able to capture it on video. It is our
9: memorial first pitch. Given the COVID-19 pandemic, it has been, as we mentioned, 601 days since the last express game in September of 2019. Since the conclusion of that season, we've lost friends, family members, and those near and dear to the baseball family as well. We've also lost heroes in uniform who serve our country both home and abroad. In memory of those who are no longer with us, our pitcher will deliver a pitch that will make its way around the infield and into the
7: outfield.
10: And finally, our left fielder will throw the
9: ball out of the ballpark. First though, we ask for a moment of silence in memory of those lost.
10: And now, the Memorial Horse Pitch.
2: I made a remark to Jessica about how special a baseball game can be because someone at the park is experiencing this magic for the first time. And then we saw this sign. Welcome to the baseball family, Evan. Thanks Jennifer and Frank for letting us share in your special day and for posing for the photo. But the day was special, not just for the newcomers, but for those of us who live for this game.
11: Hi, my name is Nicholas Turner. I'm happy to be back. Uh, happy to have baseball back. Uh, you know. It's been about 600 days now since we've actually seen a home game where, you know, people are interacting, able to, you know, go to the concession stands, get a hot dog, enjoy the good old American fashion style of uh, fun. So it's, you know, really thrilled to be back, able to see all the action going on here in the noise of baseball. I'm really, really
2: excited about this. All right, guys, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you to be back at the ballpark?
0: 12, 12 13, 7, 14. 14. All right, we're at, we,
2: we're at like a 37. Thanks a lot, guys. Special shout out to Will Ferrell, and one of the greatest MILB stunts ever. So we had a great night, full of food and fun and laughs. And yes, I wore gym shorts, and I've been assured that I'll get another date. And after Round Rock, it was time for a quick trip south to Corpus Christi, Texas, the place for great beaches in the home of the Corpus Christi Hooks. I love Waterburger Field, everything about it. But no matter the ballpark, whether I've been there a hundred times or if this is my first game ever, nothing makes me feel more like a kid than taking in the ballpark all at once when I first walk in. It's awe-inspiring. We were excited to see San Antonio's return to AA and face off against the Hooks, the Battle of I-37 hanging in the balance. That's what I'm calling it, the Battle of I-37. It was also fun to be with Nathan and Shelly and get to take in some baseball. The four of us always love a good time at the ballpark. Waterburger Field is just a beautiful place to be, from its cooling gulf breezes to the iconic bridge over left field. We got to go through the front office, and you see reminders of their success, not just as a baseball team, but also as a community leader. And all over the park, you see just enough connection to their parent club, the Houston Astros including the players who would win the city of Houston's first World Series. These Correa and Altuve Chucks are pretty awesome. But I'm gonna be honest, the Texas League logo made me just a little bit sad. We'd be remiss if we didn't throw some major props to these two members of the San Antonio missions, expertly recreating the I'm the King of the World scene on the Corpus Christi Hooks Titanic
0: King.
2: And all in all, is a perfect day at the ballpark. But look at those flags. No balls getting out of left field. That wind is fierce. So until we see you again, Corpus, Jess and I wish all the Hooks staff and team a great season.
0: Holler! a Swaller, a chug of ballpark brew, presented by The Hitter Sports.
2: So we're excited to be back here on the Holler and a Swaller segment presented by The Hitter Sports. Make sure you follow The Hitter Sports on Twitter. We're here with co-owner of the show, Nathan Bybee. It's Holler and a Swaller. We're in Texas. We have two Texas beers. Nathan, what are you starting with?
11: I'm starting with the St. Arnold Art Car IPA, a good Houston brew for the Houston
2: Astros affiliate here in Corpus Christi. And I'm rolling with the Shiner Bach, which uh, we had some technical difficulties, which let the half of this bad boy in <laughs> drank. It's very hot, uh, but again, another—you know—it's a Texas Classics, Shiner Bach. Um, you know what? It, it's been you and, I, you and I have not been in a ball game together since we came to watch George finger play here. That's right. About 650 days ago. What's it like to be back?
11: Oh, it's amazing. I've been looking forward to this for so long. I, I'm so excited to be here. Um, of course, I've moved now down to San Antonio, so we uh, we got the San Antonio Missions here uh, playing the Corpus Christi Hooks in one of the best ball fields in all of minor league baseball, don't you think? I think so, absolutely. Uh, this is, it, my heart is here. This one and Cheney Stadium are my two favorites, for sure. I, I've, I've seen a lot of Corpus Christi Hooks game. Uh, I can't decide. I, I was trying to think, have I seen more Hooks games or more Missions games? I'm honestly not sure. I'm a huge fan of both of them, so yeah. I'm so excited to be here.
2: Uh, and I'm looking forward to the season. You and I have a big trip coming up in Tennessee. Uh, what are you looking forward to about getting out to Tennessee? Just baseball? Game? Well,
11: baseball, travel. Um, I believe they've got a, a, the teams we're going to see have a connection to uh, World War I and some yeah. of the history of our country. And uh, and that's what baseball is really all about, isn't it? I mean, it's just the American pastime. Yeah. And uh, it's just oh, it's just great. Summertime. And we got a breeze. We, well, today we have a breeze so here in have, Corpus Christi. That's great. We we're living it. All right, well.
2: Holler and swaller, baby. Holler and swaller. Wait a minute. He cheated more than I did.
0: (laughs) Show me the merch. The best from the pro shop.
2: So we are back here on Show Me the Merch. We're actually out front of the hook, line, and sinker. That is the official pro shop of the Corpus Christi Hooks. And before we dive into what we bought, we're gonna take a look inside to see what some of the goodies you can pick up online. And then we're gonna look at some of the really cool stuff we got from both our Round Rock Express game this week and what we're gonna end up buying at the Corpus Christi Hooks game. So let's go. Be very, very quiet. I love visiting the hook, line, and sinker. So much great merch that's both well-designed, stylish, and an overall great product. But there was one thing I was looking for. I went past the hats, the jerseys, the T-shirts, the pennants, the books, and still it eluded my grasp. So I asked for help. Eric, I was looking for the the, the, the uh, Waterburger jerseys.
10: Oh man, we're actually sold out of those twice already. Yeah, we're actually getting a third and fourth reorder here soon. So uh, just keep a lookout for it. We'll get it here quick. So
2: he should go online. Oh yeah. That's
10: going to be your best bet right now. Yes. Yeah, so.
2: All right, online, Andy. Now, as for what we picked up on our week, first, in Round Rock, I got this great Austin Senators jersey, which is a nice throwback to baseball in Austin, Texas. And while in Corpus, Jessica and I both got some gear with the Awesome Hooks Fauxback logo. Again, I've said it before, I think this might be my favorite logo in all of baseball. And as for that elusive item we couldn't find, I had ordered mine on the web about a week earlier.
0: Isn't it sharp? Let's get to presents Goodwood knocking around the majors with Andy Tom Chesson. All right, we're jumping into Goodwood with
2: Andy Tom Chesson. Um, it's funny, it's goodwood. It's our Northwoods League preview episode. There's their there trees, it's the synergy, baby. Synergy. Just all synergy. Um, what didn't have synergy was the ESPN's um, Star Wars broadcast. How much of that did you watch?
9: Uh, probably a couple innings, uh,
2: like most of
9: my evenings are spent with probably an iPad open and a phone with game day on checking things and, uh, Twitter running in some device. So it was on the TV for probably a third of the game. Uh, it, it was challenged.
2: I don't understand why that's what MLB thinks we need for the kids to like baseball.
9: It's, you know, and this has come up and I know what our topic was. It was specifically about the Star Wars broadcast, but uh, there was another tweet that I think kind of ties into this as well. Uh, earlier in the week uh, about some grumpy old reporter uh, and old being probably somebody you're in my age. Uh, yeah. Fry was his last name, former player, freaking out because some kid in uh, high school flipped a bat in a way that he deemed to be violent um and didn't like it and that's what's wrong with this generation and that's what's wrong with the game and dotted it up and i think a lot of this unspoken rules uh, uh integrity of the game stuff that has nothing to do with actual integrity it's how old people older people want to see baseball played versus how it needs to be played especially when your uh player base is what 75 percent latin american Yeah. I don't think I'm wrong on that number. Uh, they're going to be fiery people that play baseball. They're going to be people that are excited. And if you want the crowd involved, if you want younger fans to join, encourage base runners to steal bases, have guys get emotional, have guys throw bats when they hit a home run and celebrate when they do something well and have pitchers strut off the mound when they strike that same guy out that that's exciting to the younger generation. It's not about, well, they did it with a staid, dignified manner, so I'm more impressed with Mike Trout and the way he carries himself, which is code – I mean, ultimately, it's a dog whistle for He's white. He can do what he wants.
2: Yeah, although, you know, it's funny to counter that, as I actually thought Tucker's pimp job of his home run, where he leaned on the bat and watched it go to the third, second deck, was, you know,
9: but you're – I'm all for that. And to use an older Astros reference, I was all for Jose Lima celebrating every time he struck somebody out. Cause Hey, you never knew when he was going to do it again. Right. <laughs> it
2: wasn't, it didn't happen a lot, but B if you don't like it, hit the ball. It, well, exactly. If you don't like it, hit the ball. If you don't want him to pimp the home run, then quit throwing him. Strike uh, him out. Uh, strike him out. Uh, I was thinking about the two kind of, uh experiences we had to make the game younger and you had the star wars thing which featured for some reason someone dressed as a jawa if you're Mm -hmm. it's almost like that tweet of tell me you don't watch star wars without telling me you don't watch star wars right
9: let's pick the most obscure character we can find that appeared in um a new hope and i think one more time in one of the, the the i mean but literally that is the character and i'm old enough to have bought the kenner action figures. That's the one you always got for your birthday because your relatives didn't know what the hell they were buying. So you have an army of Jawas. Nobody needs more than one. You don't, I had 12. You had 12. I had 12. And you can't trade them. No. And you want to know who was in the bottom of my Death Star playset? The Jawas. The Jawas. They were in the trash
2: compactor because you had to have something in there besides the foam rubber that they gave you. That's right. Um, but I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking about the YouTube broadcast, which my, to my surprise was – much better than I expected. And that's because YouTube steered into baseball. They didn't steer into... The, it's, like, it's like MLB was trying to bring Star Wars Night at a minor league ballpark to life and like, a broadcast and it just didn't work.
9: I think the big difference there with the YouTube broadcast, and I know you've talked about this on the show before, is that they bring in a broadcaster uh, similar to the way the game of the week was presented a few years back. And I don't know which channel was doing this, but you brought in a broadcaster from each one of the teams and you had your national team. So our problem, my problem as a baseball fan, and it was probably for Astros fans listening to this, probably best exemplified by uh, Joe Buck and his inability to get past uh, Juan Soto's age in the 2019 World Series. But it's beyond just you know, he's fascinated with the age. It was really just telling that he had no interest in doing any research or learning anything about either of the teams that were playing. He found a fact and hung on to it. And when you have a ESPN broadcast, for instance, uh, I won't watch them anymore because it is literally, whether the Yankees are playing or not, talking a lot about the Yankees and the Dodgers and how they're faring. And, oh yeah, there's a baseball game going on with two other teams that we don't know anything about. So we're not going to talk a whole hell of a lot about. And there's very few exceptions to that. Uh, I think that bringing that flavor, bringing Jeff Blum, and I forget who the other broadcaster was, but bringing that local flavor in and explaining why Jose Altuve struggled and it wasn't about trash cans last year, but it was about deaths in his families and, and, you know, worrying about those kind of things and having that on his shoulders all season long. Um, Having more features, why Mike Trout isn't the face to baseball since we brought him up, I have no earthly idea. I mean, if you're truly appealing to a certain audience, he is everything that the older generation wants a baseball player to be. And he's really, really good.
2: Yeah. I but mean just why is it him, he, we're recording this on, on Tuesday to drop on Thursday or Friday, but watching him score from first on a single last night because the dude can fly. And yeah, why are we not celebrating that more?
9: Yeah, but why isn't he why aren't the angels on every week or at least every month? Instead, you get them once, and it's you know early in the season where nobody's paying attention anyway because NBA is still going on. Well, in, uh, in fact, we off, have, part of
2: part of the Trout narrative isn't it sad he's not on the Yankees because he won't go to the playoffs? Like that's part of the Trout narrative. The Yankees get built into it.
9: But I think the Angels would be more successful if more people attended the games that the Angels put on um, in Anaheim and on the road. The Angels would have more money to spend, and they'd be able to afford pitchers for the first time in their lives or at least since the 2002 World Series, your choice.
2: Um, much has been made about this ball drama. Um, and, you know, there was a big flare up with a prominent member of, member of Astros Twitter, who's a friend of our show, uh, Michael Schwab. Um, and he dared question the wis- the wisdom of one Lindsey Adler regarding the way that thing was covered. But how much of it is that, it, you know, the Astros home run numbers seem to be lower Um I don't know where, how it's going league-wide, uh, league but is are we seeing the end of the bloop and a blast offense as far as the way the ball is constructed?
9: Um, it's artificial, first of all. Every time you mess with the ball, it's artificial. Uh, when the ball was adjusted prior to the, what was it, 2019 playoffs, that was artificial. Um, and I don't think ultimately that's great. Having said that, If everybody's working on the same field, uh, same level playing field with the same tools available to them season to season, I think that's fine. In the span of the season, if the ball is this way, everybody has to deal with the same problems. And that's great. It would be better if they would just pick something and stick with it, make adjustments only when there's dramatic things. I think the uh, 1968 mound drop uh, or before the 1969 season that was necessary because the the game had shifted too much towards Bob Gibson being able to completely dominate a a league of baseball. I mean, that's ultimately what that was. Yeah. Um, So you lower the mound a little bit and you even that out a little bit, but season to season, I don't think you can make those adjustments because teams build their offenses and their, and their pitching staffs around what the rules are the year prior. You don't know what the rules are going to be in the, in the future. So it's kind of one of these things that you've got a team built. Uh, You can use the Astros, but you can use the Yankees as well because they have struggled offensively for part of this season because they are geared towards hitting home runs all the time. And if you have pitchers who can keep them from hitting home runs, they don't win as many games. Now they've gotten better. They've started to make that adjustment, but you'd like to think that 19 to 20 to 21 to 22 to 23 those years, it's gonna be the same type of baseball that you're playing. And then if I want to be the Kansas City Royals and build around young talent that runs the bases and looks incredible uh, for their youth, great, I should be able to do that and count on that still being the same game next year. I I think that this is one of Manfred's issues is that he doesn't really know what's wrong. He doesn't really know how to fix it, but he's enabled his front office or MLB front office to tweak things too regularly um, and, and without testing them out in the minor leagues. And certainly, they're doing a lot of testing in the minor leagues, but I don't think they have real understanding of the consequences of the stuff they're doing when they start adjusting balls, and you know, I, you know next thing will probably be uh, talking about the construction of the bats and what wood you're allowed to use. Um, or, you know, what cow leather is going to be available for the gloves going, I mean, it's just, it's silly stuff, but when you're talking about balls and bats, that really affects the immediate ability I mean, of a team to play.
2: And I mean, look, the NFL 31 quarterbacks are using the exact same football. It seems right. like, except for Tom Brady. Um, no, but you're right. It would, it what, what it seems like Manfred's doing, um, to use an independent film sort of reference He's over editing a film because he doesn't understand why his film works or doesn't. And George Lucas. Yeah. He is George Lucas going back and, and ripping the soul out of the original star Wars because he, for some reason wanted a little cute monster running around. I don't get it, but um, you know, looking at this year though, I mean, do you see teams adjusting um, to this new ball? Do you see teams changing the way they play games or, are we going to look at the Astros and Yankees at hovering somewhere around 500 as a result of all of it?
9: Well, I, mean, I think the reality is a lot of teams are hovering around 500. It has been so far this year, um, with a couple of exceptions, your worst teams outside of the Detroit and your best teams outside of um, Boston and somebody else in the National League whose name escapes me. Those Outside of those three or four teams, everybody's kind of around 500. Which means there's parity. So if that was their goal, great. I think the beauty of a 162 game season is that parity doesn't win out. Talent wins out eventually. And I think teams are constructed. I think the Yankees are struggling to adjust, but they will adjust. I think the Astros are struggling to adjust, but they will adjust. I think the Dodgers are struggling to adjust, but they will adjust because ultimately there's too much talent and they can out talent the Royals and Marlins and Uh, Phillies of the world. Um, And I think there are some teams who are built for the changes already. I think the Mets are a great example of the team. Um, You know, DeGrom being gone hurts them, but and the Cardinals uh, who have struggled a little bit at the beginning, uh, adjusted, and are now kind of on fire right now. But baseball is full of every season having a team that catches fire for a few months and then either moves on from that or fades from it. And that's one of the beauties of having such a long season is that ultimately the best teams are the ones that make the playoffs the best teams are the ones that get the chance to win the world series and as we've said on this show a number of times and we're not original in this spot the world series playoffs are a crapshoot because a team can get super hot super cold uh, face pitching that they can't hit face hitting that they can't stop um but the regular season the beauty of the 162 game design is that ultimately the best teams are the ones that are standing
2: at the end. Uh, last question. You know, I think all of Astros' nation were a little tickled and excited that Wade Miley uh, got his no-hitter. no, no hitter. I know that he fell off a cliff at the end of 19, but really was nails for most of that season and, and really was a big reason for the Astros' success. And unlike other pitchers, handled not being on the playoff roster uh, pretty well. <laughs> Um, so far, I mean, he, hasn't, well, he doesn't,
9: he doesn't play for Oakland yet. So we'll yeah,
2: see. We'll see. Um, what do you think though, about, about so many no hitters at the beginning of the season? Does it does it just feel like a lot to you or is it a lot?
9: Uh, it, it's four in what's almost two months worth of the season. I, I, yes, it's a slightly higher rate, but again, let's worry about things that happen from Memorial day on and see if it's really an epidemic Or it's really just a bunch of teams that haven't figured out how to adjust their their play to a reduced field ball, which is basically what we're talking about. Um, Ultimately, Cleveland's not a great team. If you took Cleveland out, you'd have two less no hitters because that's, you know, they're they're 50% of the problem. 50% of the problem is that uh, Cleveland has assembled a team that can't hit. (laughs)
0: Go-Go Astros, a focus on H-Town hardball. So we're excited
2: to welcome back to Go-Go Astros, Mr. Brian Arbour is going to be helping us hang this or nail this segment down, I guess I should say. First of all, Brian, it looks like you survived Yankee Stadium, okay?
10: I did, and uh had a, had a great time. I went to the uh, Thursday game of the uh, Astros Yankee Series, and that was uh, highlighted by uh, Jose Altuve's go-ahead three-run home run in the top of the eighth, which was uh, very, very nice to see. Um, rumor has it you were operating the buzzer. Is that correct? Um, I can either confirm nor deny uh, that rumor.
2: You did write about it. And I, and I want everybody to check out your blog because you, you have a lot of great content. Um, but uh, it was, was it as hostile as you were expecting toward you guys, you and your wife?
10: No. Um, you know, I was certainly worried about that. And certainly, you know, I've been to three playoff games at Yankee Stadium. I know how intense that environment is. And it wasn't that. Both in terms of, I mean, certainly, you, know, you saw it, and all your, all your, you know, everyone listening to the podcast uh, saw it. There was a ton of booing going on. There was uh, lots of chants, which are not repeatable in a family uh, forum. Um, and you know, it certainly, from an Astros player, and certainly as an Astros fan, I just, I just want to get this over with as quickly as possible uh, so we can move past it. And, you know, I did get a handful of comments from people, but I also got just as many interactions where people were, you know, the uh, the photo I have on the blog post is taken by a uh, guy sitting behind us who, you know, offered to take the photo we were taking. My wife and I were taking a selfie. And he came over and said, I'll take it for you. I want you to know there are kind Yankee fans. And while well, I don't think that was the majority, and again, you could hear that. And it was yeah. supposed to have two days birthday, and uh,
2: Yankee Agreed. fans had opinions
10: on his birthday. Yeah. Well, they're just, they're just wishing him a happy
2: birthday, man. Well,
10: you know. Yeah. I mean, I learned some new lyrics to that song, which I don't usually sing, but, um, you know, but, but, um, you know, and the other thing that was notable, and I put this in the blog piece too, was like 95% of the booing was to the players who were on the 2017 team. Um, And when they went through the lineup, there was, you know, Altuve and tons of booing. You can debate whether that's fair or not, but he was on the 2017 team. Uh, then it was Brantley, and there was a little bit, and then you know, then it was, um, was Redmond. Lots of booing, but by the time we got to Jordan, it was very clear that hey, we're only booing the twenty seventeen guys. And you know,
2: and it, it almost speaks to the fact that they are an intelligent baseball fan base
10: who can distinct the back of the jersey versus the front. Maybe right? I mean, you know, um, hate to give too much credit to Yankee fans, but you know, yeah, they were booing. You know the right guys in, in that context um mccullers was the pitcher that day when they announced him there was some booing, a bit less than for the hitters and you know i don't know if that's just done 2017 he doesn't get introduced again so you don't sort of have this you know, that's what happened uh sense of you know whether that's you know just we're just booing all the guys or it's specific bigger but it was really sort of notable particularly i mean we talked about this last time i was on and there's been a lot of commentary on this and sort of asterisk twitter is the sort of sense of you know oh they're just booing everybody and at least my experience was they weren't they were doing you know they didn't boo yorda alvarez for what he did in uh in in single a in 2017 they booed alex Bregman, which seems you know, i actually wonder um how much
2: it mattered um in in the sense of- you know, you know, as well as I do, and you were, I'm assuming, at some of the games in the ALCS in 2019. That was hardly a friendly crowd in the first place. The F. Mm-hmm. chants were heard on the Fox broadcast. At the end of the day,
10: that probably didn't feel that different to those guys. Yeah, and the thing is, to me also, is that to get to be a Major League Baseball player means you're probably pretty good at, uh, you know, at drowning out distractions. Because if you weren't, Alex Redman would have, you know, would have faded out in the middle of some SEC, you know, road series back when he's a sophomore at LSU, right? This is, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of these players, right? They come from working, you know, particularly ones who come from um, uh, from Latin America. They come from working class families, you know, where there's a lot of pressure to, hey, this is a chance to really elevate your family. Does booing, does someone booing them really compare to that? Probably not. So, you know, I, I always sort of I know they hear it in some sense, right? That the atmosphere is here. We heard a lot of comments uh, when they came back in 2021 about it just didn't feel right not to have the bands in 2020. But at some level, they're able to, I don't know what it is, right? To sort of engage the mechanism and just sort of have that sort of drown out. I'm sure there are people who can't, but I don't think they get to be Major League Baseball players. I don't think they're able to climb the ladder if they can't do that.
2: I would also like to point out, too, that with Correa being from uh, Puerto Rico and a guy who worked his way from nothing, he definitely would have taken Joe Kelly in a fight last year. Anybody that thinks otherwise is ridiculous. Because that narrative was silly. Uh, great. great. <laughs> um, let's talk about the current squad. Last night was uh, probably one of the more frustrating games, um, you know, where you could almost tell, where it was going to go, innings before it got there, is Are the Astros a 500-baseball team, and is that where they are?
10: So the Astros are a team that's projected to win in the low 90s. And so if you compare it to the 2017-2019 teams, all of which won 100-plus games, they're not as good as that team. And well, being not as good as that game means you're going to lose. But they're not a 500 team. That's not sort of the expectation of this team. And you know, they're going to, in so, they're going to lose more games than we're used to. They're going to win more games than they did last year. And you know, my sort of sense of last year is that they played 162. They wouldn't have been a 500 team. They've been able to come back to the level of what we expected and get above 500. so, you know, it is frustrating to watch games like last night where, you know, the inability to put the Angels away early in the game, when you had them, you know, on the hook, when they had their less good pitchers in there and they seemed to be wobbly, um, you know, as you said, you could see that coming uh, uh, from a long way away that, you know, that their failure to to basically take control of the game, the, the failure to put the game away in the first two innings came back to bite them in the middle of it. The-
2: um, you explained to me and, and and you explained in your blog, um, why is Brooks Rayleigh not as bad as my emotions tell me he is? And, and I definitely, I'm asking because I definitely agree with your assessment.
10: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so his ERA is as bad as you think it is. It's in the eights. But his FIP is in the threes. And if you look, I looked on the, you know, you look on, if you look at sort of, he is in the top 1% in creating soft contact. So when people hit the ball off Brooks Raley, it doesn't go as hard. And again, it doesn't go as hard as it does for just about any sort of other pitcher. Um, He's also had many more strikeouts than I sort of expected and above sort of projections. He's at like, I think 12.3 strikeouts per nine innings. Now he's, given up two home runs, which is really bad in context of how few innings he's pitched. And a lot of the soft contact has led to hits. And again, the the air is bad. Brooks Fraley is an average to maybe slightly above average reliever. Should you have a ton of confidence when he's in there? No, average guys are going to give up plenty of runs. His FIP is like 3.8, right? This isn't, you know, this isn't a shutdown reliever. This isn't Ryan Presley. But should you, you know, just turn the game off at that moment because there's no way this can go well. No, he is. He used the term from the Simpsons. He is crumbling. Yeah. I mean, and I think, yeah,
2: you broke it, you broke it correctly. And I do remember some of the, he definitely gets baseball a time or two with these blue pits or, or hits against the shift to your point where they're not hit that hard. Um, but let's <laughs> look down the road for a second, because I think there is help on the way Pedro Baez eventually will come. And then as, Odorizzi comes back and, and Fromber comes back, it should improve the bullpen um, by moving Garcia and maybe even Javier. Is that what you see happening? Do you see Garcia and Javier going to the bullpen?
10: Possibly so. I mean, I expect by this weekend that an early parades will come off. He's in rehab assignments down at Corpus Christi. They wanted him to go back to back. So I would assume he'd do that maybe today and tomorrow, maybe tomorrow and Thursday. And then that ball you know, goes well, fingers crossed you will be back this weekend. That's the first step to getting the bullpen back because you look at what they had thought the bullpen would be in the offseason. It'd be three guys who were going to be the key middle relievers, the key bridge to get the game to Ryan Presley. And that's Noli Paredes, Pedro Baez, and Joe Smith. Well, two of those guys have been injured. I think Paredes has thrown an inning in the third on the season before he, had to, before he went on the IL. Baez hasn't thrown an inning even in spring training. Um, the more worrying sign is that Joe Smith has been ineffective, and I won't argue that you know any trepidation that an Astros fan has of seeing Joe Smith come to the game. And you know he got some outs last night, but it certainly wasn't uh, it certainly wasn't with great confidence. Um, it wasn't a confidence sort of building So the plan hasn't been there. The good news is Ryan Stanick has been excellent, and they've been able to develop him into a middle reliever the bad news is their other options are somewhere between average to below average. And so, hey, there's a lot of trouble sort of getting more than two relievers. Now, we saw on Sunday, right, they were able to put five relievers in there, um, it was seven strikeouts, two hits, no walks over five innings of relief. They were able to literally save the game when Zach Greinke, you know, blew up in the, in the fifth inning and the game seemed to be in peril and then big lead seemed to go away. So, I don't think we're going to see that every night. I don't think we're going to see the disasters every night. Overall, so far, this has been an average bullpen. There is some hope that they can get to a slightly above average bullpen. They're not going to be one of the best bullpens in the major leagues.
2: But if they get good starting pitching and they hit enough, you don't need them to be the bullpen of the A's of two years ago, whatever it was.
10: Yeah, and the key to this team is to hit and to hit well, and that's where their star players are. And then they have a rotation that is, as you said, right, if we could end up with Luis, Luis Garcia in the bullpen, he's proven this year, okay, it was a frustrating six inning for him last night, but hey, Luis Garcia is a major league pitcher and someone who is contributing to this team. Christian Javier's had a tough last couple of starts, but overall, you look at his body of work over the, two, over the 2020 and 2021. Again, major league pitcher, someone who can be good and someone who's been better as a starter than I had expected. So if either of those guys or someone else goes to the bullpen, it only sort of strengthens the team and gets you more options on at least average major league pitching in the bullpen could be helpful to an above average offense.
2: Well, you're more than above average, Brian. Thanks so much for jumping on. Let's get to and anchoring our go, go Astros segment.
10: You're welcome, James. Happy to do it.
0: Raiders of the Lost Diamond, a look into baseball's past.
2: So we're jumping into Raiders of the Lost Diamond as we continue our Northwoods League preview. And we are joined, as always, by our local historian, Andrew Nelson. Andrew, how's it going, man? Good. How are you, Jim? I am making it one day at a time. I saw a lot of baseball, a lot of cities this past weekend, and it's looking like it's not going to get any less busy until August, and that's the best possible news.
4: Oh, yeah, that that sure is rough, Jim.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. So we're doing our Northwoods League preview, and I know that you had researched some other Northwoods League stuff, but before we get into that, um, you're a big fan
4: of the league anyway. What are some of your favorite
2: parts of the league?
4: Well, um, so – I love the Northwoods league. And a big part of that is because the Northwoods league got me to fall back in love with baseball, to be honest. Um, I moved to Rochester, Minnesota in 2015, and had never heard of Northwoods league had never heard of summer collegiate baseball. Um, I knew that there was baseball in Rochester, but I thought it was like the Rochester red wings who are a twins minor league team. <laughs> it's like, no, the, they're in New York. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean that shows you how much I knew about anything that wasn't twins like you know major league baseball at the time and the twins had been bad for a while I'd gotten kind of out of it um you know but then I started going to um Rochester Honkers games got my Honkers jer- throwback yeah, you jersey yeah. on right now um and it was close and it was fun and uh you know it didn't break the bank to go out to a baseball game or do that you know a whole bunch um and it it got me interested in the game again it was accessible and in my city and um
2: you know it, my first you know, uh my first northwoods experience was last year um when i went to to um South Dakota or North Dakota, excuse me, for the Bismarck pod. And I think the thing I found interesting because I had, that was also my first collegiate summer league experience and you know, it was good baseball, but it was also parks that felt like an affiliated minor league park. It wasn't like when I'd seen pictures of like the Cape Cod league, for example. And I think that's really where the sweet spot is that they've hit is that it's really the best of both
4: worlds. For sure. Most of the, no, no, most of the Northwoods league, teams play in former minor league parks or in parks that have been built new for the teams Uh, so either way they're older stadiums that have been renovated and they're pretty nice in that regard or they're brand new stadiums and uh, you know they're they're on the level with lower level minor league parks if not better in a lot of cases i think
2: um, yeah, um, I think you're right. So I know that we're going to talk about some kind of older stuff, as in that's what is the segment is. So what do you got for yeah. us today?
4: All right. So as you know, and our, our listeners and viewers know, we usually talk about um, affiliated minor league or independent league teams on Raiders of the Lost Diamond. But in keeping with our Northwoods League preview this week, we're going to talk about a Northwoods League team instead. So uh, there, are, there aren't a ton of lost diamonds to talk about in Northwoods League history. They, they've been a remarkably stable league. But unfortunately, one of those teams that's dropped out of the league over the years is the Alexandria Blue Anchors, also known as the Beatles. Mm. The Northwoods League opened, ba- opened play in Alexandria, Minnesota in 2001, with the Beatles taking the field at Knut Nelson Memorial Park could it get any more Scandinavian-Minnesotan than that. (laughs) True, true. Uh, The Beatles roster featured pitchers Jimmy Accardo, who would go on to pitch for the San Francisco Giants, Toronto Blue Jays, Baltimore Orioles, Cleveland Indians, and Oakland Athletics, and Josh Newman, who would take the mound for the Colorado Rockies and Kansas City Royals. Future Cardinal, Red Sox, and Padre outfielder and first baseman Alan Craig. Would pitch for or would not pitch for would play for Alexandria in 2003 and 2005. And in 2006, the Beatles boasted another pair of future big leaguers in infielders Lucas Duda and Danny Worth. Duda played first base for the Mets and Royals, and Worth would go on to play second base for the Detroit Tigers. Hmm. In 2013, the Beatles were sold to a new ownership group and renamed the Alexandria Blue Anchors. While the Blue Anchors didn't see a lot of star power on the field, they were managed by former Minnesota Twins infielder and coach, Al Newman. Okay. Uh, two-time world champion. Uh, unfortunately, Alexandria routinely placed at the bottom of the league for attendance and didn't do real great on the field either. And the Blue Anchors folded after their 2015 campaign. Normally, that would be the end of our story. Team went away. Yeah. Yeah. But not this time. Starting in 2016, the Wilmer Stingers, who are another member of the Northwoods League, have played one night each season as the Alexandria Beatles. Oh. The Stingers have a 4 and one record under the Beatles moniker. (laughs) Uh,
2: First of all, you know, the Blue Anchors, that's a great name. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a really, really good name. Um, I guess then as we kind of close out this one, uh, first of all, do we have a trivia question this week?
4: We do. So do we want to give the answer for the last one first?
2: Yeah, let's give the answer for the last one.
4: All right. So our last trivia question was, uh, which Texas league team is operated under the same name continuously for the longest stretch. And the answer to that is the Arkansas travelers.
2: Oh, okay. It's interesting. Cause I would have guessed missions, but I guess because they went up
4: and down. Right. And they, they, uh, they adopted their parent club name uh, off and on. So, yeah, like, they, they were sometimes it. the San Antonio Brewers. And the uh, but Dodgers, the,
2: I think, at, lo- at one point, too. Yeah, it makes Arkansas sense. Arkansas
4: Travelers began being the Travelers in 1964, if I remember right. I'm probably okay. wrong. But up through the end of the Texas League from the early 60s, they've been the, the Travelers. Okay. Uh, this week's trivia question is about Northwoods League team, appropriately. Uh the Northwoods League will feature a traveling team this year that is named after one of the league's defunct teams. Which former team is the Road Warrior team named for?
2: Okay. So again, you put your stuff in, give us an answer and you will get entered in for a prize pack. I wanted to um kind of audible for a second or or just get take your temperature on something, you know. Sure. Um I've talked to a lot of minor league baseball officials, particularly in our last episode, the MILB preview, and a lot of them um, feel like MLB, for the most part, lived up to its ultimate promise with contraction of there will be baseball. I think only four or five cities did make it, and a couple of them seems like they didn't want it. Um, Do you think this collegiate summer league model, though, is that kind of the future of baseball, do you think?
4: I think, too, I think it's the future of baseball in small markets. Um, you know, it has the advantage of that they're amateur players, right. so they're not paid. Uh, they have to be so that they can maintain their uh, NCAA eligibility. Um, but the teams really put on a, a good effort to put out an entertaining product, and, um, and the teams and leagues really take player development seriously. And so you're, you're seeing good play and you're seeing uh, young players grow into uh, adult baseball skills and learning wood bat baseball skills that they can apply later as, as a major leaguer. And I'm not going to tell you, you're not going to see crazy, uh, questionable plays sometimes, but you're also going to see sublime plays sometimes. That's part of the great thing about summer collegiate ball is you never know what you're going to see. And you could see uh, something that you, you might see on the, uh, uh, on the bloopers reel, and you might see something that's going to be on Web gems. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, and I think it is interesting too, because we had the GM from the former Green Real, Greenville Reds, now the uh, Greenville Flyboys, mm-hmm. and she pointed out that in chances are they're going to see more future major leaguers now than they did when they were a short season A club. So maybe
4: absolutely, to your point. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look up the Northwoods League uh, website, they have a section that's all all of their major leaguers that have come through there. Uh, a lot of the um, Northwoods League stadiums will have, you know, uh, placards or uh, posters or whatever of um, players that have come through. And like when when I was up in Bismarck last summer, I was surprised at, some of the names I saw, like Matt Olson, had come through there, yeah. uh, and and a few others. And you know, I, that's not my local market, so I don't follow it as closely. But I, we had uh, Andre Ethier come through uh, Rochester. That was the biggest name that we've had through Rochester. And, and some of the clubs have had more major leagues, uh, future major major leaguers come through than others. Uh, but like Max Scherzer. Chris Sale, um, Pete Alonzo, uh, all kinds of star major league players that come through the Northwoods League and, and other summer collegiate leagues. So, um, you know, it's well,
2: – you know, it's definitely going to be fun. I can't wait to get out there. And I know you and I will be here.
4: Oh, yeah. The Waterloo Bucks. To it.
2: Looking forward to it. He is Andrew Nelson. This is Raiders of the Lost Diamond. Thanks for jumping on, man. Have a good one, Jim. All right. Good job.
0: to close it out, the right hander from Houston, Texas James Christopher
2: So that does wrap up this episode of Let's Get to. Uh, we had a great time both at Round Rock and at Corpus Christi, as you can see the game is still going. I got more beer to drink, so I'm going to go ahead and cut the episode short. We do want to thank everybody from the Northwoods League for coming on, sharing their views, uh, telling us a little bit about their team. It's going to be a great summer for baseball. So remember, no matter where you are, there is baseball near you. So get you some popcorn, some Cracker Jack, and let's get to it.